<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we just watch? We just watched season three, episode 21, 27 rather, excuse me. We just watched season three, episode 27 of Dragnet titled Intelligence, which aired on April 17th, 1969. And you are a, a relative newbie to Dragnet. Mm-hmm. You saw the two hour pilot film mm-hmm. for this revival series. I think this is the first regular season oh. episode uh you got a chance you, to see you poor naive i kevin you showed me the episode where friday and gannon 
just like make weird sandwiches for an entire weekend. Oh, I forgot about and that. And have like a sleepover. So I've, I've, I feel like I'm really initiated after that. <laughs> that was a great episode. This is a very strange show, but I love it. <laughs> the show fascinates me. Yeah, we talked uh, in a previous episode of, uh, in the Dragnet 1967 film. Or was it Dragnet 1966? Dragnet something when they're riffing on that uh, guy who killed all those models in L.A. You know, th- this is a this is a show that very much, in your view, comes from the creator. Yes. What's his name? Jack Webb. Jack Webb. Yeah. There you go. And uh, you know, it it sort of encapsulates all his opinions on everything from you know law enforcement to hippies. To- <laughs> To all sorts of things, and we're de- we definitely I think get a get a key glimpse of that in this episode. And, and also, he uh, spent some time uh, running um, the television department, I believe, at Warner Brothers. And so, I feel that these uh, shows also encaps- encapsulate his ideas on TV production. That uh, everybody always wears the same clothes. A lot of the action takes place in very similar rooms. It looks like they have, they are actually the same room, only with different things hanging on the walls. Yeah. I mean, he, so this is something that looks like it could have been filmed. show was about 25 minutes. Maybe they took about an hour to film it. Yeah, I could see that. Just a quick, quick day. Everyone get lunch. Here's, here's one thing I felt. You know, there's that phenomenon on social media, you know, Twitter in particular, but, you know, other platforms as well, where somebody you know, talks about like how like some jerk wearing a fedora was putting down a cashier and then somebody says, I stood up to them. And then the whole, the whole, you know, all the people in line were clapping, you know, and it's like obviously fake. You invent stories to sort of fulfill your worldview. And this is like if one of those people (laughs) had the budget and the power to make a TV show about it. (laughs) And I mean, like, Obviously, most fiction is is has an element of that, but this is just the pure, unadulterated blast of Jack Webb's thoughts. Yeah, you put your finger on it. A lot of the episodes have Joe Friday give a kick-ass speech to some uh, no good Nick, yeah. putting them in their place. And that certainly happens in this episode, slamming them down. <laughs> Who doesn't wish they could do that? Just so you know, go up against somebody who represents everything you hate, and just be able to eloquently and calmly put them in their place. Joe Friday, baby. Is that why we? Why do we find it so satisfying? Because what you, what I describe is just sanctimonious bullshit, and what you described is just poor production quality. And you know, I hate sanctimonious bullshit. You hate low production quality. Why do we love this show so much? That's actually a good question. I find the show mesmerizing, and I'm not, I don't understand why. And, and a lot of the uh, Jack Webb speeches uh, reflect views I don't even hold. Yeah, I agree. The whole, the, the whole thing is very, maybe the fact that it's like obviously copaganda, like you can't, it's not like a situation where you're like, oh, that snuck up on me. You're like, you, it's very obvious. I mean, there's some episodes that are among my favorite of the series, which were all Jack Webb speeches. There's one where he goes on a television program to debate a hippie. And <laughs> dunk on a, a long-haired beatnik. And he, yeah, he dunks on the hippie for half an hour, played by uh, Howard Hesman. I mean, we're both 
we're both left-leaning people. I think every, we don't like hippies either. So yeah. I think that, that that fulfills some sort of wish. So maybe you'd enjoy that episode. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, well, let's... And, and I like the awkwardness of... It's like he realizes that his character is a little bit too dull and he needs a sidekick to be the comic relief. And so this episode starts out with him and the comic relief side character who is uh, played by Harry Morgan, who of course went on to become the very dignified fatherly character, uh, Sherman Potter on MASH. They're receiving their mail and uh, (laughs) Officer Gannon's mail includes a request from a, a relative for money. He's asking for $5. Oh, what? It's like, what? wow. So like $5 in 1969 was, that still seems like an awful little amount of money to ask for. I mean, how much is a stamp? If you're going to ask somebody for money. It doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. And it also just it goes nowhere. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like for like a... Like a, like a slide whistle. Like whoops! Like what's going on? I, I, one thing that Gannon says to Friday early on too, which I thought was bizarre. He's like, you know, Friday's talking about how he got invited to his his night school's alumni association party. It's males only, so that's fun. And and you know, he doesn't really want to go, but he he feels like he got cornered into it. And then Gannon comes out of nowhere with, "You'll do anything to avoid getting married." What? What? <laughs> also, I feel like from the episodes in the in the movie that I saw of this show, people talk about Friday's sex life a lot. I feel like a lot of people are like, you need to get laid or you don't have a wife. Ha ha. And it's like, I don't know. Like, if he was younger, maybe I could see that being still weird. But, like, he's a middle-aged guy. Like, he's obvious. But, like, everyone kind of treats him like, oh, you're a young whippersnapper. You don't really know how life is. With, you know, getting married is so important. And, like, he looks really old. He looks Ganon's age. So what is going on? <laughs> what? What? I don't understand. You think Jack Webb was just living in denial? And imagine he still looked like he was 20? Yeah, looks like a Boy Scout. It's very odd. It's very odd. There's a, there's a disconnect there. He looks like he's, what, in, in his 50s? Yeah. But everyone kind of treats him like, oh, this young buck, this young blood in the in the department who's moving his way up. and But he, hasn't, he doesn't think he has time for a family now. We'll learn him. <laughs> he needs to settle down with a little woman. Yeah. It's very odd. <laughs> it's, very, it's very, like, if he was middle-aged and everyone accepted that, they'd be like, oh, he made, he made his choice. He's, 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 he's going to be a lifelong bachelor. That's okay. But everyone's kind of prodding him the way you do, like the way some annoying people do young younger people. So let me ask you this. Is there a fictional character or maybe design one from scratch? Ideal girl for Joe Friday. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, you stumped me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what a rare moment. You're speechless. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you? Oh, I see you're leafing through your, your a folder labeled Dragnet Fan Fiction? <laughs> Oh my God, Kevin! <laughs> Jesus! Please don't pull out the the little tab that says X-rated. <laughs> we don't need to hear that on this podcast. Who, who's your uh, ideal well, let me, match? Well, okay, let me ask you this: What do you think it would be like if you were dating Jill Friday? What kind of well, a couple do you think well, you? Could... No comment, <laughs> Kevin. I'm 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 engaged to you. Isn't that close enough? <laughs> 
Yeah, before before the program started, how about somebody? You said you know Kevin. You're a little like yeah, Joe. Yeah, you're Friday. a little bit like what Joe. What do you Friday? mean? By that? I don't know. You're just kind of awkward. You're kind of always wandering around. I could see pe- people giving you unsolicited advice. And I have kind of a comic relief friend. <laughs> Who's your comic? <laughs> Me? Looking at her. I'm Gannon. <laughs> if I'm Friday, you're Gannon. Fuck you. <laughs> I just make banal comments that don't make any sense and are probably not true. Which, yes. yeah, I guess I guess I am. Again, <laughs> yeah, the shoe fits. Hey, here, here's my thing. I think a, a a Friday woman, a woman for Friday, his girl Friday, so to speak, would have to be very similar to Friday. It would be like two weird Friday people living in a little bubble, and they kind of like occasionally interact, but mostly they kind of do their own thing. I think that's that's the ideal Friday pairing. Do you think that's likely? Do you see Friday becoming a family man? Yeah. Raising somebody, kids? Somebody for everybody. But anyways. <laughs> so so if you were a friend of Friday's, would you be encouraging him to settle down with a little woman? No, I think that's weird and rude. You're, you know, if, you, if, he, if, he, if he doesn't want that, then that's his right. And perhaps, you know, that's, that's his choice. And if he does want that, aren't you kind of just dunking on them for being single? And that's mean. So... It's not very nice of his... In the original uh, program, I believe he lived with his mother. She's probably dead by the time of uh, this revival yeah, series. Yeah, so, like, leave Friday alone. I feel like he's has some weird childhood trauma shit. Like, you don't be dunking on him for being single. Oh, Friday childhood trauma. What was Friday like as a little I, boy? Let's, let's move on from this. <laughs> <laughs> I know you want to read some of your, <laughs> your uh, Ode to Friday stuff, but... That's what uh, Archive of Our Own is for. <laughs> That's what fanfiction.net is for. <laughs> we don't need to subject the listeners to this. Notice you're not denying anything. <laughs> well, I'll just say that only one of us has spent a lot of time writing fanfiction, and it wasn't me. Oh. <laughs> but let's get back to the program. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> so, so it uh, turns out that Friday's night school... <laughs> Had a uh, had a lot of students with a kind of fashy leanings because the first person, the only guy he knows there, starts trying to sell him on some sort of like alt right bullshit. And can I, can I just interrupt for a moment yeah. to say that that's kind of ironic that when said so he went to night school about ten years earlier, they were apparently there were fascists there. Yeah. Next year on the show, he returns to night school. This time it's not with fascists. This time there's somebody at the night school. Using some marijuana. Oh, no. Reefer madness. So I won't even tell you what happens, but it's shocking. Well, you know, people enjoying a bit of uh, marijuana are definitely the same level of bad as outright fascists trying to sell guns off the market illegally. Well, I bet Friday would agree with you in his actions in that episode. Both sides, baby. (laughs) These two things are equally bad. Yeah, this guy, it's like the, you know, he's literally... episode is so weird friday just starts talking to him and he's kind of like hey do you want to join my racist gun group <laughs> and then friday uh gives him uh, a speech yeah. in which is an over-the-top ham-fisted manner compares the racist gun group to nazis yeah it was uh it was quite a speech it... and then it turns out that there's somebody at this group who is heavily affiliated with this racist group that Joe Friday has just announced. And he's heard Joe Friday give this speech, and he thinks, well, I'll go try to get this guy to help me do something illegal. 
now, Kevin, were you, were you almost recruited to a fraternity? Like, did people try to recruit you? Uh, yes. Okay. So, like, when you basically said, no, I don't want to join your fraternity, did they did they keep pushing you? No. No, yeah. I mean, that, like, that, that seems to, like, I don't see, oh, hey, do you want to join my church? We have a really great, you know, church. And no, I don't believe in God. I don't think I'm going to be, like, stalking you. I, like may- maybe in some cases I don't know, but when when the, the first thing I hear out of someone's mouth is I hate Nazis, I don't like your group, I think you're Nazis, I I don't think I I don't and the person's a law enforcement officer, I don't think the first thing I'm gonna do is, hey, do you want to do crimes with me? <laughs> it's ugh, it, it's it's trouble and like you know there's been you know with recent news events there's been. Links made to maybe members of various agencies having perhaps sympathies to right-leaning, you know, extremist causes, right? That that was with the Capitol inter- insurrection. Like, we, we heard about a lot of, like, you know, people who might be, like, army reservists or deputies getting caught on camera, you know, doing something like that. But in this case, the guy literally is just sitting, standing on a soapbox for like five minutes talking about how bad he thinks the group is. So it's not like they just approached him thinking he'd be friendly. Like he very much made a made a whole fucking oration about how he's not friendly. And then the guy's like, hey, what if I mean, I this whole episode left me feeling like the main the main militia guy, the main fascist militia guy. Just really, really, like, life was not working out for him, and he really wanted to get arrested. Like, it was important for him to get arrested. <laughs> maybe maybe he pissed off some of the other militia guys, and they were going to kill him, and he just wanted to get arrested so he could, like, disappear. <laughs> that would make more sense <laughs> if we believe that he's a, he has self-preservation in mind here. Or if you want to roll with the script, I guess the reason why... Friday's friends pressured him to go to this party was because they knew this guy from the militia was going to be there and the guy from the militia thought Friday could potentially help him and he wasn't willing to let that opportunity slip by without making a bit of an effort to court and woo our man Friday. I guess so. So should we talk about the content of the Friday speech comparing the group to Nazis? Uh, He was... Friday was decrying law and order uh, extremist groups. Were you at all surprised to hear that point of view from uh, Friday? Well, in a lot of these episodes from what you've said and just from what I've seen, he's very much the law and order type of like, we can't let these crazy extremists and, you know, they typically are hippies or other people you could imagine of the left-leaning persuasion, um, you know, take over. And, and the the cops are the only thing standing between this and anarchy. So very much common law and order mm. type talking points. Um, so yeah, it's surprising, but it also felt very much like trying to counter the narrative that cops are sympathetic to right wing fasci groups like a militia. Right. You know, it's like, like, here's an, like, you think that cops only go after the left wing types? Well, look here, Joe Friday's giving those right wing militia folks as good as, you know, it's Ruby Ridge up in this bitch now. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to Waco this shit because we also take right wing crazies seriously. And we're just, we, we're, we're apolitical. We're just trying to make sure that society is safe. 
So it, it sort of fits into the narrative that he wants to go as far as cops being apolitical, but just we don't like either extreme. When the show seems to, I mean, I don't know, is it fit, do they do other episodes where like they go after like racist groups or other groups that they, could, they do some anti-racist stuff sometimes. Yeah, it seemed like they want to so like they don't want to be super right-wing. They want to occupy the kind of like nice, comfortable, centrist mode that Jack Webb kind of wanted to espouse. Mm-hmm. You know, and really seeing the cops as like the true guard and the law enforcement in general really because in this case he works with federal law enforcement too. But law enforcement as kind of like the um true blue good guys of society who are uh, saving everybody from criminals whether they be pot smoking hippies uh you know crazy serial killers or raging extremists on either side of the political spectrum right so after the the speech uh this uh gentleman starts trying to woo friday to so because he thinks friday can help him get a license to sell firearms and so that is then what the rest of the episode focuses on so the central mystery is more of like will they be able to bust this guy because because we subsequently uh learn that uh this group has a bunch of illegally obtained weapons so they have a cache of uh very dangerous weapons so can we figure out where these weapons are hidden and arrest these people what do you make of the you know statements like I wear a badge, Paul, not a swastika. Well, that was actually pretty funny. But what do you make of like a statement <laughs> like, you know, you know how how Friday's belief in what is good exclude quote unquote excludes nuts on either side? What do you what do you think of 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 that kind of attempt to make it clear that both sides are bad? I think that's an attempt to appeal to the widest possible audience. And to a, a certain extent, maybe his heart didn't seem to be in it as much as it is in some other episodes. Yeah, when he's dunking on hippies, he seems a lot happier. Yeah. What do you? So does that? Does do you think he's speaking the truth when he says they don't like either side of extremists? I think he is, and I think he sees these groups as uh, a threat to uh, the ideas they claim to espouse and champion, but I think he'd rather focus his energy on going after hippies. I think like he does, he, he wants law and order and he want, he, he probably does agree. I mean, does agree with a lot of the stuff the militia is espousing, but it's kind of like when you, you know, like when you see somebody you agree with explaining things badly or carrying on in a way that you don't find, uh, having, you know, you, you, you're, a, you know, have more decorum basically, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and this kind of gives away the plot in that sense. So in a way it's kind of a fascinating episode because he's trying to convey something and it's sort of like the gentleman doth protest too much <laughs> <laughs> or the sergeant doth protest too much, I should say. Um, because yeah, he he doesn't seem to have the glee that he has when he's taken on the hippies. And I mean, I don't know about you, Kevin, but I personally think that uh, a militia full of right-wing extremist gun runners who sell arms abroad is, is probably generally more of a problem than somebody who likes to light up once in a while or someone who likes to wear Birkenstocks and not cut their hair. Yes, definitely. This is a much larger threat. This is a much larger threat globally, too. 
And yeah, you could say this hippie bad guys. I'll, you know, the Manson family, bad. Go to jail. Fuck you. But like, I, I think in general, like. And to some extent, this episode was a prescient because I don't think the problem of right wing militias was especially huge in the 60s, but it, it has become more and more of a threat as the uh, time has passed. It was, a, it was a problem. I mean, it's been a growing problem for you. So it was a problem back then, but it was quieter. It, it wasn't reported on. Yeah, it wasn't. Rep- it was out there. It wasn't a, as huge as it is now. Yes, yeah, certainly before, not in the public. There wasn't a Ruby Ridge. There wasn't yeah. all this other stuff. There wasn't Tim McVeigh's. So then the rest of the episode becomes Friday begins working with the Treasury Department and the ATF trying basically to go undercover and convince this uh, gun runner that he's with them and wants to help them, but he's really just trying to get information about where the weapons are, and so there's a bit of a dance between them. And the dance happens in several different rooms, which look very similar to each other. And the dance happens in probably, if, you, if you've if you ever watched a quote-unquote like law enforcement agent infiltrates bad guy gang, and wins the trust of bad guy gang and then betrays said bad guy gang. You're probably expecting something a little bit different if you've never watched Dragnet mm. before. Because in one of those shows, it'll be like, that they, they'll, they'll earn their trust, they'll like save their kid or like, you know, save the whole operation or like really become brothers with one of the guys in the bad guy gang and they'll be so attached and then it's this big emotional, you know, betrayal when, when it becomes clear that they were actually a plant. In this, in this Joe Friday, Joe Friday's idea of infiltrating this is to, as Kevin said, meet in several very similar looking rooms and drink scotch and make either awkward small talk or like very curt exchanges where they're just like, is that the gun? Yes. Looks like a good gun. I know. I mean, like, <laughs> that's his idea of like a seduction for like this, like, evil group that he's infiltrating it's punctuated with very dramatic music and people nodding at each other would you like to sell the gun to me yes today no dun 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 <laughs> I mean... god i love this show a thompson gun has a lot of firepower yes indeed maybe i could use it on the streets of course you know maybe you could blow away the, the hippie types dun dun dun, <laughs> dun. i mean it, it, it's like it's very it's very weird and like I don't know, maybe I'm like overly sensitive over, you know, I have all these brain problems where I get nervous talking to people, but like, I feel like if I, if somebody, if I was like an illegal gun runner and somebody came into my apartment to chat with me and it was like supposed to be like, Hey, let's get to know each other so I can sell you these guns. And anybody talked to me like Friday, talked to this guy, I'd be like, he hates me. Oh my God. Like I'm never having him (laughs) over again. I bet he's a cop. Cause like, why else would somebody act like that? He gives off really stiff, very uncomfortable vibes that I think you would get you immediately kicked out. And of course, he knows Friday's a cop. Also, he knows Friday is a cop who does not share his political views and has been very vocal about that from upon meeting him. And, and like, nothing has happened that would indicate that he would change his mind. Like, he hasn't been fired or, like, humiliated in some way where, oh, maybe this would make him change his mind. And if he asks anybody in the department about Friday, if he tries to get any information whatsoever, he should know Friday's not somebody that's likely to be seduced to become a criminal. Yeah, it, it like, and like at points he's talking about, oh, cops don't get paid enough. Okay, and then he goes over to Friday's apartment 
and he says, oh, this is a very nice apartment. You live in a really nice side of town. So it's like, <laughs> like he's learning information that like conflicts with his idea. Unless he was being sarcastic. Yeah, because let's be clear. It wasn't a nice apartment. It looked like the same apartment that the gunrunner lived in. Oh, and they were acting like the gunrunner's place was this opulent, you know, because it had guns on the wall. Really- and the gunrunner's apartment looked just like the place where they'd had the alumni party at the beginning of the episode. And the gunrunner's apartment had, like, a couple of guns on the wall, and that was supposed to look impressive. But, like, it, it, it was just, like, a bunch of, like, guns oddly spaced apart on a white wall. <laughs> like, I think most, like, like... Like teens who don't care and are just moving into their college dorm do a nicer job decorating their space than this guy just looks well, slapped well, I've, together. I've seen pictures of the guns you had on your wall at your dorm. It looked yeah. much nicer. Nice musket. I get to keep them nice and clean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my fouling rifle, front and center. I just it it's the production values is so low. It's just so funny. Um, and yeah, they keep drinking scotch and I, I really do. I mean, do you feel like this guy, this criminal behaved in a way where he didn't want to get caught? Is it fair to say that he had some sort of like, I want to be arrested sort of fetish <laughs> secretly. Perhaps. I want to be humiliated by Joe Friday. <laughs> Cause he was like seeking him out and like they were all going on about how he wanted Friday to help him cut through red tape, uh, with the ATF to get a gun selling license. National gun selling license, something like that. And, like, I mean, I don't really know how things work, but I could probably guess that, like, being friends with a local beat cop probably isn't going to do that much. I wouldn't think so. Maybe if you're friends with an ATF agent, maybe that would do it. But, like, yeah, like, I, I, I don't I don't think Joe Friday of the LAPD is just going to, like, walk in and just punch through that uh, that paperwork. It just seemed very, it, it seemed very silly. He just seemed desperate to get arrested by Joe Friday. And then talking about production values, there's like, there's like two or three scenes where they're in the captain's office and it's Joe Friday, Gannon, the captain and the ATF agent. And these scenes are meant to take place on different days, but they look like they were all shot at the same time because they're all wearing the exact same outfit, sitting in the exact same place. I just wanted to know that. Civil servants just have, like, a cartoon character's wardrobe where they, like, open their closet and it's, like, the same suit hanging <laughs> across the row. That's how it works, Kevin. And then, of course, we get to kind of a quote-unquote climax when the uh, the militia guy gets a strange call as he's about to sell a Thompson gun to Friday, you know, and Friday he basically tells Friday to leave immediately. <laughs> And that call comes from the head of the militia. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we never really learned why the head of the militia made that call. The head of the militia somehow knew that he was cozying up to Friday and had a problem with it. Which is like, yeah, if you were running an illicit organization, you wouldn't want one of your officers doing this. And this guy just is convinced it's such a good idea and that Friday's an ideal recruit. (laughs) Well, how, how did he find that out? Maybe there's an ATF agent who's... Who's dirty? Yeah, is dirty. See, see, this is trying to make a point about how, how law enforcement writ large does not support, you know, fashy causes. And then it sort of implies that they do because there's clearly some kind of leak going on here. Is it Gannon? 
You think it's Ganon? You think Ganon's dirty? Ganon, Ganon slot. You know, Ganon goes home to his wife and slides off his uh, jacket, and there's a swastika, swastika armband there. <laughs> He's be so, what a twist! <laughs> the, a fielder at the end of the episode calls up and like, 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 thanks so much for the tip. Like, it really saved you know the whole organization. You know, and and like. And it'll be like a voice coming back being like, no problem, boss. And then the person hangs up and it's Ganon in the squad room. That's the post credit scene. Yeah. Setting up the sequel. <laughs> and then, and then you see, and then you see the, the camera zooms back and you see Friday hidden behind like a column, like holding his gun with like a single tear <laughs> rolling down <laughs> his cheek. <laughs> He's going to make Ganon look like he died in the line of duty. <laughs> <laughs> to preserve his memory because he doesn't want his partner going down like that. <laughs> That's wild. See, now I'm writing Dragnet fan fiction. Yeah, what a shock. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I despite being the worst undercover guy ever, like you would never... I mean, maybe that's why he's so good, because he acts, he doesn't behave right. So you'd almost be like, an undercover guy wouldn't behave like this. <laughs> he wouldn't be this awkward and weird about everything. But his target, the guy, like you said, you said over and over again, he's not that bright. I remember one scene where Friday is telling an anecdote. He says, oh, Friday says, I think my boss is getting a little suspicious. And the guy says, your boss? He says, oh, Friday says, oh, yeah, the captain. He says, oh, yeah, sure, I understand now. <laughs> I thought you meant the guy at the Days of the Week store. <laughs> the sergeant who was Friday. Yeah, he also is drinking constantly. He's constantly drinking scotch, so that actually might account for some of the bad decision-making in this. Like, going over to Friday's place, can I drink your scotch? I mean, like, they're just constantly pouring each other large glasses of scotch throughout this whole thing. It was a different era. Yeah. It's 8 a.m. Pour me a tall scotch. <laughs> I have a question. What happens to Ganon when Friday's on a big case like this? Does he just, like, have to sit in the, like, the, the squad room playpen while Friday goes well, out and it, does one, everything? At one point it, it, in this episode, they said that Ganon was... Uh, Doing surveillance or something. Because Friday drops Gannon off to hang out with the ATF boys. Is doing surveillance just going to one of the ATF boys' apartments and drinking large glasses of scotch? Don't you think it's probably like busy work? Like if you tell your son, uh, oh, I cut out all the pictures of uh, people with glasses from the newspaper. <laughs> I bet you got that a lot <laughs> from your parents and girlfriends. <laughs> But it's a good tip for me. Oh, <laughs> no. to file that one away. <laughs> I feel like if you were like a normal person listening to this, why would, you know, you'd be like, why do why does anyone watch Dragnet? Why was it so popular? Why did it keep coming back? Why why are we enjoying watching it now? I think it's just cuz it's so weird. It's so it's like it's like it's not it's just very much its own thing. It has its own rhythm and like it's almost hypnotic. Even though some of it, as described, might sound dull, it like lulls you into this weird state. Were you bored? Did you enjoy it? I can't say I was like, like when you watch really good TV or really good movies, you're like amped. You're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Like, I can't wait. Like, you're like getting excited. I was not with this, but I was like hypnotized, <laughs> like mouth hanging open, like, oh, uh, like, you know, like just mesmerized. When you watch Dragnet, you never really wonder what's going to happen next because you kind of know. 
there's not a once the episode is only like 25 minutes you have to have the opening banter scene and you have to have the ending scene where people get their just desserts so there's not a lot of space for shocking plot twists and there's something refreshing about that because plot twists are so widely utilized now and are often very stupid but like it, say having Ganon be a traitor. Yeah, they're stupid, in, in, but in a frustrating way because you're like, oh, really? Like you didn't really set that up. You didn't really put much effort into that. You're just having that be the case because you know it'll shock us. So having something very unshocking to watch once in a while is almost comforting. I think that's. I think that's it. Like, law, like think think SVU. How many times has a perfectly good SVU episode been going along? <laughs> Okay, here's the crime. Here's where we're going to investigate it. And then like, but wait, you know, he was dating the mother and the aunt or like, oh, wait, this person turned out to she faked her attack or like you're kind of like, okay, like there's there's only so many times pulling out the rug from under the audience is going to be like used effectively, you know, because you have to like earn it kind of. And and most I mean, I feel like a lot of (laughs) a lot of uh, programs do not. So having something that you know is not going to be shocking is a little bit kind of like a nice a nice treat. <laughs> Why don't you discuss the climax? The shocking conclusion. The shocking conclusion. The twist-free conclusion. Um so uh the militia guy stumbles into Friday's apartment uh seemingly kind of drunk, gets more drunk on scotch and then tells him that he got demoted within the militia because he was friends with Friday. Friday's like, oh, that sucks. And then he's like, uh, you know, but I'm going to go into business for myself. I'm going to sell you this gun anyway. And here's what. I'll tell you the exact map quest instructions on how to get to the big cache of guns that we have hidden in the Arizona desert. Because I like you, Friday. I like the cut of your jib. You get it. And Friday's like, yeah, and I'm also now a fascist. And he's like, great. And then the cops come out. That's Da, 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 da. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it wasn't like Friday really had to do much here except for like say words that were non-threatening. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to act non-threatening. I mean, he really acted like he was going to sell this guy out. But he just said, I'd like to buy a gun. I will help you. And then this guy just hung himself, basically. That was all it took. Wouldn't that be nice if all it took to, like, take down bad guys was just, like, say, hey, I support you being a bad guy. Thanks. Do you want to do crimes together? Okay. And then <laughs> then arrest them when they do the crimes. So maybe that's part of the appeal of Dragnet is it's, it's basically an alternate reality. And it kind of feels like it'd be fun to live there. It does. What's your unvarnished take on this whole affair? Intelligence may not be the brightest episode of a police procedural that I've ever seen, but it still will likely stick in my mind. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s. So all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.